Welcome to the podcast Density and Metropolis. We are students of the Urban Master of the School of Architecture of Versailles. Through a series of episodes, we comprehend at the subject of growth and decay through the analysis of several cities around the world. For today, we approach the subject of growth with the city of Lagos in Nigeria, the economic capital of West Africa, which has experienced a demographic explosion in the last 50 years from 200,000 inhabitants to over 25 million today. This demographic boom has direct repercussion on the problems linked to the urbanization of this city with an important rate of informal construction which doesn't stop densifying this megalopolis. To accompany us through this theme, we had the pleasure to have a conversation with Mr. Mohamed Zana, one of the main actors and members of the Nigerian Informal Settlement Association. Actually, Lagos is one of the fastest growing cities in West Africa and probably in Africa. And today, that's estimated 24 million people in Lagos and that is increasing on a daily basis. Yeah, back in 1980 to 1989, there isn't that much crowd in Lagos than we have today. So Lagos is continuously evolving and growing, even though there is very little land to occupy everybody. How would you explain the growing population in Lagos? What are the main reasons for this enormous influx of people? Lagos is the capital of Nigeria after the Nigeria got its independence. And as a result of Lagos being the capital of Nigeria, all the federal government parastatals are stated here in Lagos. Plus the port, one of the biggest uh, ports in West Africa is in Lagos. So many people migrate to Lagos looking for jobs in the federal parastatals and then the port. And so being the capital of Lagos, it becomes like those who cannot make it to Europe if they come to Lagos. How does day-to-day -day life look like for an ordinary citizen of Lagos? As much as people are coming to Lagos, Lagos is one of the most extensive cities to live in in Nigeria and in West Africa. Hence, most of the poor people who live in these slums communities in Lagos. Since the coming of the colonial uh, masters and Lagos becoming the headquarters of Nigeria, the traditional source of income for people in Lagos is either fishing or farming. So when the, the development comes uh, together with the uh, capital of Nigeria, most of these farmers and the fishermen were pushed to the riverland areas to dwell in. And there isn't much emphasis by all the successive government to create infrastructural development in these slums to upgrade them, the communities to changing times. So most people that live in Lagos, that work in all these big, big houses and big, big offices cannot afford to rent a house close to where they are living. So hence, many people end up in slums. And many people are living in slums way outside Lagos and traffic to, to come to Lagos every day and go back every day at the end of the working day. Knowing that people usually live far away from their workplace, what are the effects of commuting 
on the traffic levels. Many people don't live close to their job. They come very far away to come into Lagos and go back in the morning. So that's why most of the time in the morning, if you look at the traffic situation in Lagos, it's from people coming into Lagos for work. So then the, the afternoon uh, traffic, closing hour traffic, is people going out of Lagos after the day's work. So you can now tell the number of people that comes every day to work in Lagos and go back to their homes at the end of the day. So you will see that two thirds of the people that you see every day in Lagos are not actually living in Lagos. They are coming in and going out. What modes of transport are used by the population? We know the yellow buses that are seen all over Lagos. Is that the most used type of transport? Yeah, yeah that, that is a popular way of transport in Lagos, the yellow buses. And now we have the three cycles also playing their part. And we also have uh, government initiatives that are coming up lately, like the BRTs and others. But the most popular and most larger source of transportation are the yellow buses. What is the situation with cars? Do people own cars or is that uncommon? As most of the other cars, people still use their cars. But if you compare to the numbers of those who don't have cars and those who have cars, those who don't have cars are more than those who have cars. And most of them use their cars. It's not like uh, in Europe where people park their cars and take the train or take the buses. Here, most people come out with their cars to work. Knowing that people spend most of their day in work hours, how do they provide food for themselves and their families? Yeah, due to the fact that most people go out early in the morning to go out work, and due to the family system here, the mother takes responsibility of the children, as the mother also has to go to market every morning to sell her wares and buy, uh, to take care of her children. So many people eat outside, buy from outside, unless during weekends on days when they are at home. That's when they eat at home, but most people go out to work every day. You said mothers are usually going to the marketplace every day. Are the markets important place for the local economy? Yeah, the market is very important because 75% of the internally generated revenue by the labor sector government is from the informal sector, meaning the informal businesses, the informal marketers. So they are very, very important. However, what is the attitude of governmental organizations towards informal markets? We rely on those markets, but every once in a while we have a situation where government comes around and forcibly evicts people from this market in the name of developing, developing the market. And at the end of the day, the government builds shops that the poor people cannot afford to rent in and they're pushing the poor people to become street traders and roadside hawkers. And the government still come after them and arrest them for street trading or street walking, and then prosecute them in a, in a mobile court. They sentence them and charge them thousands of uh, nairas for being street traders. Even though the, market, the government did little to provide uh, market space for everybody, regardless of their financial capacity. When we talk about evictions, we can also mention how governmental organizations treat informal settlements. The way we found out about your federation is through a BBC documentary talking about the demolishment of part of the Makoko water settlement. 
Are these evictions a daily occurrence? We wasn't the only one. We have uh, Orthodox Banyan. Over 30,000 people were evicted. People who have been there in that land for over 70 years. Some are there for over 80 years. Mostly fishermen. And later in time, other people come and join to dwell with them in that community because of affordability of the housing price in those young uh, communities. But the government come overnight and give them uh, 24-hour quick notice. And before you know, they come with their bulldozers, they come with their guns and, and out and started burning communities and displaced over 30,000 people overnight. Today, if you go to the site of that very land, it is called Prewinkle Estates. It's being developed as an estate for the rich people. Likewise, the uh, Lubiri community is also a community based by fishermen. But today, it's involved, the government is building some high ground, building there after possibly evicting the inhabitants of those communities without providing them with other alternatives. And likewise, in the community where I reside is called Tapabe Island. We are possibly evicted back in 19, sorry, back in 2019, around February. It's an eviction that took from February and January, from December all the way to February. Over 18 communities were evicted overnight within that very uh, short period. And not long after lockdown and COVID-19 and everything came, and there isn't any provision or anything uh, to support these evictees in the event of COVID-19. So to summarize, people in Lagos informal settlements often are trying to find housing, which is a basic human need. These houses, of course, are usually self-built with no professional help. How does the process of constructing one's house looks like? They move into traditional, traditional communities that we have, slums that we have. So people move in, there are community leaders, so they talk to the community leaders to help them and they get land through the community leaders within those uh, slum communities and they give them a space after a token of tea and they build their houses, mostly wooden houses, zinc, uh, uh, they use all kind of second-hand materials to build those houses so that they can serve themselves and their families. As we understood, these houses are small in proportion to the amount of people living in them. Does this mean that indoor spaces are only used for sleeping? Where do the kitchen activities take place? We have 10, 20, 16 people living in a house because sometimes the house is not even much of a house. It's just a single room and you can have up to 10 people living in that single room. And we call them first me, I face you kind of housing, whereby the, 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 the other person door is facing the other person door. So you just face each other and just a narrow uh, road that you can, others can pass. So that is the room, and you can get up to 10 to 15 people living in a single room. There's no room for kitchen in the house. In the house of a single room, 14, 15 people, surely there's no room for you to have the luxury of having your own kitchen, having your own toilet. So you cook outside when you have to, and we use uh, 
public toilet where you have to, that's where there is public toilet. And many communities don't have public toilet, so people just uh, desiccate in the bushes or into water in the case of uh, riverine area communities. In this situation, we suppose that public space is extremely important. In terms of safety, however, do children usually play in the street? Yes, there's there's need for open space for our children, for families to come together to go and relax. But there isn't room for open space in a city like Lagos. And even where there are some open spaces, uh, there are some open spaces, security reasons cannot allow people to go to those open spaces. Mm-hmm. Because there's serious issue of security in Lagos. You also mentioned the COVID-19. What are the challenges concerning the fight against the pandemic in an informal settlement? Take a look at the COVID-19 and the lockdown that followed. They want people to self-isolate. How can somebody self-isolate in a single room where there are eight people or ten people living? How do you self-isolate? How do you wash your hands every day to avoid COVID-19 if you don't even have water in your community? How do you go to hospital and get tested about COVID-19 when they say you have to register online to get the test and public majority of Nigerians do not have access to the internet and if you go to the testing centers, there are no provision made within the testing centers so that people like us that don't have access to Android phones, they can be registered online right there at the test centers so that they can also get tested. They said go and get for the 19 vaccine. Majority of the poor don't have access to internet. They use Android phone. How can they get registered and get for the 19 vaccine? How does your organization act in response to all these events? In which way are you giving people more visibility and representation? The Nigerian Slum and Informal Settlement Federation, we are in over 150 slum communities here in Lagos. We have what we call seven groups, where we, we mobilize people around these seven groups to sit down and plan for their development within their community and try to address the issues of our community. And within that space, we have the community profiling, uh, the Nigerian Federation Profiling Committee, where we try to profile our community, to do enumeration, to capture our and try to, just in case of the decision, we know exactly what is destroyed in our community. So we have our data and we try to do a Google map and put our communities on the map so that they don't say we don't exist. So we have a legal team that was supported by our supporting NGO, Justice and Empowerment Initiatives that help us to provide uh, legal free pro bono legal services to our communities. So in the event of eviction, like the Autodogamy case, in court, over the Autodogamy case, even though over here the judiciary has no independence in Nigeria, we went to court, we get justice at the end of the day. They said that the state government went and appealed in that very court case in the Lagos State Appeal Court, and it has been almost four years that we had nothing from the appeal because the state governments control the judiciary system. Likewise, the case of Chapel we are still in court trying to get justice for these And the, the issue is, uh, is, is very slow. 
is very, very slow. The state actors are trying to do whatever they can to oppress the justice system so we get tired and give up going to court and lose our case. But from 2019 till now, our case is still ongoing in court. So we have several cases in court over this kind of decision. Last, some two years ago, um, the former uh, United Nations Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing, Lelana Kwarha, was in Nigeria, and our organization, the Nigerian Strong and Informal Settlement Federation, uh, has the honor uh, to host her in Nigeria and take her through some slum communities in Lagos, in Patakot, and in Abuja. If you can check for her result, the result of a, the preliminary report on her visit to Nigeria, she said there is over 60 something percent housing deficit in Nigeria. So that's to show you how massive the issue of housing is in Nigeria. And the government will check last and view what they call affordable housing, but at the end of the day, those affordable housing are not affordable to people like us, the larger majority of the citizenry is not affordable to us. So at the end of the day, these politicians end up buying those housing development to themselves and not to the larger majority. And so we have huge housing uh, deficit and it's creating slums and the government is not helping matters by evicting people from their slum because when you evict people from this slum, you would have given them an alternative. They go and create six or seven more slums in the process. What difference would you like to see in the current governmental policies? So uh, a government that is truly for the people not against the people, a government that is ready and willing to work with us, for us, but not work without us, for us, because that's why we are having the problem. All the time they sit down and uh, bring up a development plan, they never take us along so that we share our own view on how the development will look like for us. But government sit down in, the, in their corridor of power and make plans for development and then come to evict us. But all of that is because what we have today as uh, politicians uh, are not actually pro-people. They are pro-corruption. Everybody wants to have his own share of the land. Every politician that comes into office wants to live in uh, office with uh, houses and lands that belong to him. And in a city like Lagos, where there isn't enough abundant land for them to claim, so the only land that are out there are the lands that belong to the poor, where the poor dwell. And we are very, uh, we are very in an um, unfortunate situation because the traditional media houses that we have here in Nigeria are owned by the politicians in corridor of power or their cronies in power all those radio stations or the TV station or the newspapers. So they never they never tell our own side of the story. So they always come with the narrative of the government when the government will come and say, oh, this long community is full of criminals, is full of kidnappers, is full of uh, uh, bandits, and then the, the, the media sell their story and 
they come and evict us in our community. Even though it is the sole responsibility of the government to arrest the criminal, not to, uh, to, to, to go on a collective punishment. And what steps do you think you as citizens should undertake to change the current discourse? That is the, the, the difficulty in our challenges. 90% of our Nigerians don't know their basic fundamental human rights. And poverty, or rather the system, has been used to oppress the larger majority to, to continue to remain blind so that they cannot stand up for their right and demand for these things. Nigeria is a signatory to all the international uh, treaties that protect the right of the, the, the everyone, the right to shelter, the right to life, the right to education, the right to peaceful uh, uh, life. But to come and practice it, the government is not practicing it. The politicians are not keen uh, to make sure that they respect these international treaties, which Nigeria is a signatory to, and Nigeria has demonstrated some of those, most of these international treaties. But it is up to the people because after the United Nations uh, uh, Special Rapporteur on African Housing, uh, when she presented her report, she said that it is just an empty report until the people take ownership of those, this report and try to make sure that the recommendations in the report are well implemented, it will just remain a report. So it has been remained a report ever since because the majority of the people don't have the capacity to take ownership of those laws and to make sure that the government respects our laws. For all of these things to change, the people have to have the capacity to fight for the kind of change that they want. Nigerians, we don't have that capacity to get the right people that we want. Right now, the system is not in favor of, uh, of the poor. The people in corridor of power right now, they are after building for their own children and their own children's children, but not building for the larger Nigerians, for everyone to benefit in the system. So we need to, to, to uh, empower our people to know their rights, to, 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 to be able to stand up and advocate for justice and equality, and be able to keep all their elected uh, political uh, office holders accountable. So, but right now, we are not there. The people are still in process. The people are still lack the capacity uh, to get the right system of governance. So, we have a huge problem with bad governance. And the only way we can change that is if we can prioritize to be able to do the right advocacy at the right time to the right office for them to get the right result. So until such a time when we can have 80 to 60 percent of Nigerians uh, the poor knowing their right and, and, and knowing, uh, having a, a reason to stand up and fight, then we can have the 
the kind of change that we want. How do you see this evolving in 10, 20 years? How will the events that are happening today affect the future? So in 10, 20, 30 years, in 10, 20, 30 years to come, the issue will continue to get worse and worse. The issue of insecurity will continue to grow larger and larger because of it. It didn't get out of hand because the more you exist people from their home, you are not just visiting that one person, but you are visiting a family. And when you visit a family, there are children that go to school that can no longer go to school. We have a roof over our head. Is the reason why we have dreams to have children, to get married, have children, send them to school so that they can also live their dream. But once you exist from their home, their whole life stands still. So the children that go to school before might not go back to school again. And they will end up being another source of recruitment for criminal elements. The more you exist, you demolish a market and exit the marketers out, you are denying millions of people their right to own a house and pay their rent because now they cannot afford to pay their rent. And these people will end up moving into slums near them and increasing the number of people in the slum before government will come and exist them again in those slums. So our government is giving lip service to the issue of insecurity. Well, through their action, they are the ones that they are increasing more and more insecurity in our country by evicting people from their homes, evicting people from their market, and then arresting people on the street for being street traders as a roadside us. But the government did not provide equal level slaying ground for all citizens. To, have, to be able to afford everything that anybody else can afford. And what is the last message that you would like to share with us? I would like to call on international donor agencies, world banks and others, to try to relook their policy of giving aid to state governments or governments. Try to come up with policies that they will directly work with grassroots movement who are the ones that are most affected who are most affected by the bad governance. So the international communities and donor agencies, if they want to break the things, they need to find a way to deal directly with the most vulnerable groups that are being affected to help them build their capacity so that they can be able to defend their right, they can be able to defend their vote, they can be able to hold their leaders to a 